0: And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. When I was a kid,
1: my dad was a cop. And we spent five seasons of Loose Units the podcast talking through his cases, but the unexplained and the paranormal kept rearing their heads, because the story doesn't end when the killing is done. Welcome to Loose Units The Shadow Files. Welcome to part three of our look at the family court bombings. Now, last week, Dad and I finished up by dealing with the death of Graham Wykes in the bombing of the Jehovah's Witness Hall. 13 other people were injured, actually, and it was an absolutely horrific crime. And it was, in fact, the last thing that Leonard Warwick did in this string of crimes. So this week, we're gonna close out by looking at how he was caught, when he was caught, and the conviction, because the court case was very unusual. And also, Dad has some very strange additions to this story from his perspective. But first, Dad, how did this guy get caught? I understand it was the 29th of July 2015. Now the bombing happened on the 21st of July 1985 that's quite a gap isn't it
2: So basically Paul as the listeners know I when I was in forensics in the early to mid 80s mm-hmm. which seems a bloody long time ago and uh, it was it was known there was sort of it was in the wings about DNA. And fortuitously, when we would go to, um, I mean, an average week for me back then would be, let's say I went to two murders, um, a couple of serious sexual assaults, of course, arson, which either did or didn't involve fatalities, mm-hmm. kidnappings, uh, extortion, just, you know, big safe, safe jobs, you know, where they'd. Break into um, to safes and steal the contents, and but what we did, we kept the evidence, the physical evidence. So we'd go just like in the movies today, all those CSI shows, you know, CSI forensics. They go to the the, the, the crime, and you know the detectives are there saying, oh, you know, you know, bag that bit of evidence. Well, I guess the only thing that I will say on that particular point is that we didn't have detectives at the scene right. telling us what to do because they would contaminate the scene. So whenever I went to a a terrible crime where quite often the bodies were in situ, so you'd be amongst it. It's pretty, pretty fucked up. Yeah. Um, at the time, it's weird. I just, I, I didn't really think about it except from a... Pre- professional perspective that we would gather all the physical evidence and it'd be bagged and it'd be stored because there was a feeling that one day we would be able to use the evidence that we gathered to solve old crime that's why you've got cold case units probably in every police force in the world and on this particular occasion at the The bombing of the Jehovah's Witnesses Hall, Mm -hmm. the bomber broke in through a glass window. He then, and at this time, this person is not known. Uh, He may have been known as a person of interest, but he was not, you know, he was a free man. Mm -hmm. He breaks into the Jehovah's Hall and as we all know, he placed a massive bomb under the lectern. Which was, I mean, you've seen the photos, Paul. Yes. Of what it did to that hall it was mm. absolutely terrifying. Here's the thing, and this is you've really got to tip tip your um, your hat if you wear a hat. If you don't wear a hat, just you can gesticulate as though you are wearing a hat. I mean, can you imagine how much blood there was at this crime scene? I mean, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of blood because there's a yeah. lot of flying glass. It's just, it's just blew the fuck out of the building. Some incredibly um, thorough, competent, and just, I don't know, it's hard to sort of imagine this, but they managed to get some glass at a, at a scene at a point they thought access may have been gained on that occasion. They kept the glass because it had blood on it. Years later, Paul, through DNA, they identified that blood to that of Warwick. How's that? But to do that, to make the comparison, Paul, they needed a sample, didn't they? For comparison. Yeah. They needed his DNA. Do you have any idea how they got that? No. Oh, golly. This is so wonderful. This is the stuff of... of movies they had him under surveillance and one day because as we as we may recall in 1986 warwick was granted custody of his daughter yes and, and that's I, when the
1: kill that's when the
2: killing stopped right? and everything just stopped yep one day he took his daughter to the cinema the police i believe three of them were in the cinema with warwick Obviously, Warwick didn't know. He sits there with his daughter, watches yeah. the movie. They saw that he had a bottle of um, a soft drink that he drank from. He left the bottle in the cinema. So when he left, they went and got the bottle. <laughs> this is the stuff of it's it's pretty pretty fascinating, isn't it? And is that I mean, is that um, regarded as being uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Um, not not entirely. Okay. yeah I don't actually have a problem with that legally it's it's, it's a, a good question Paul yeah okay, okay. The fact is that they had the DNA hmm. and to go to that much trouble he was obviously a person of extreme interest so then why did it take so long to get him? Well they didn't have any other evidence or right. so so we we believe <clears throat> and then. Sometime, but not long later, he was um, on a treadmill um, out in, I believe it was Campbelltown and he was was 65, I think he was then, Um, been out of the fire brigade and the police arrested him and he was taken into custody and there he was, there he remained for almost three years prior to the trial and it was decided that the trial be without a jury and the trial lasted for for a long time and it actually believe it or not Paul it went through into covid times well it says here that it
1: lasted for more than 2 years of sitting days so over mm-hmm. I think about I think it was over about 5 years but it, yeah over 2 years of actual time spent in the court which i understand
2: is a lot of time a lot of time <clears throat> and a lot of money yeah I mean, and these things have to be paid for and there were all sorts of dramas um you know he declared himself bankrupt he he sacked his uh his one of his defense people because he said he was being harassed and bullied um which is kind of weird to think that he can say that even though he's you know ostensibly even though we are aware now of the guilty verdict at the time mm. you know he had not been proven guilty but he was still in custody um, and it seems funny. And he's, 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 he's not a small man. He's a solid unit. Yeah. And to say that he was bullied is, you know, kind of slightly unusual in my opinion. Um, and ultimately, he was found guilty on all charges except the first charge of murdering his brother-in-law, the brother of his first wife. Yes. Stephen Blanchard. Now is this the wife uh, the wife who basically was in the family law court trying to get custody of the kids in the first place? That's right, yes. Okay, okay. And she um she was having dramas, big dramas. Yeah. You know, with with the with the accused. And allegedly on one occasion there was a real family drama and it is um It is said by the wife that uh, the the, her brother came and sort of you know got got involved and tried to sort of assist. And I'm not aware of the specific details, but apparently a few days later um, he vanished, and he was his body was found in the Hawkesbury River. And it, uh, he had sustained a gunshot wound to the head, yep. <clears throat> which I would imagine would be the the kill shot, and then he was weighted down and tied uh, with rope, and in the in the ABC four part documentary, mm-hmm. which has um, been airing of late, yep. there is reference made to red rope, and that's the. Uh, the thing that really piqued my interest. As I said to you and the listeners last week... Sorry, um, red rope, uh, in what context is it referred to? Um, well, that's the rope that basically tied Blanchard and then... Now, I've heard that he was hog-tied, if you're familiar with that term, where you're tied hands and legs behind your back. So this is, the, this is his brother-in-law? Correct, yeah. R- right, okay. Now... He was charged with that murder, but that's the only murder that Mm -hmm. he was acquitted of. They're saying that, you know, for for whatever reason, you know, obviously there was not enough convincing evidence to find him guilty. Yeah. So, here's my my snippet of uh, information that I have gleaned, been told about... um, in the last few years, which I've always found incredibly fascinating. And it's such specific information that you could not possibly make up what I'm about to say. Now, because we've been doing this for some years, Paul, we have had so many people reach out to us, and some of the things that we've been told or that I've been told, um, we just can't talk about because they're just, you know, you just can't go some places. But the story that I'm about to tell the listeners is fascinating. Uh, I've never heard the story before. I've only heard the fact that there was rope involved. So the story goes that a New South Wales, because bearing in mind, I was in the fire brigade for 10 years. So You know, and I I was what was called a relieving firefighter. So I was a permanent firefighter, but I worked at pretty well every single fire station in Sydney. At the time, there were 76 stations. And I was, for some years, really getting out and traveling. And I I, I did a lot of work out west. And a lot of these really... It's a different world in the fire brigade out west. Some of the stations out there, they they work like it's absolutely insane. Yeah. You know, it's, it's intense and... I was told a story that a firefighter, permanent firefighter in the New South Wales Fire Brigades was at a detective's office in Penrith. Okay? And he's upstairs with the detectives. Yeah. Because he knows some of the the Ds and it's kind of a bit of a social thing. And this firefighter is sitting opposite a detective. They're chatting away and... Paul, do you recall that I've made reference in the past to what the firefighters used to use, and it was called a pocket line? Yeah, is that a small length of rope? Correct. and it's okay. tied in the most fantastic, it's just the most amazing way, and it used to be. we used to be issued with them. Yeah. Uh, when we went to the academy, we were each issued with one pocket line. Like that an all-purpose kind of thing? All-purpose like, line, yeah, and it's okay. about, I guess, I guess it's kind of maybe four metres long. So if you were climbing a ladder in a fire and you yeah. needed to haul like a big axe or a hose or something up, you'd tie the pocket line. Onto you've talked there. about it on the yeah, you've t- oh, yeah, you we've ha- discussed it. You have mentioned it before, yeah, correct. Yeah, so that's and it was just a part. Now I, I'm quite sure firefighters don't have them. At least I've been looking at some of the firefighters around our area, and I can't see the pocket line. But I've kept my pocket line because it's yes, just such a great thing. You've you've seen it. I've seen it. And every single emergency service, so you've got police, fire brigade, Mm -hmm. ambulance, now you've got CES, they all use rope. But can you imagine at a major incident, you've got all the services there and they're all using their ropes and something catastrophic happens. Let's say there's a failure with the rope. Imagine if the rope breaks they're doing a cliff rescue and the body the person is still alive but they then fall and die that becomes a coronial matter one of the key things that they're going to look at is the rope obviously did the rope fail had it been you know worn prior to should it have been scrapped and should they have replaced it there are so many different things were the knots tied properly But how do you think they separate all the different emergency services ropes?
1: I would guess that the ropes are coloured or patterned differently.
2: Correct. So with the New South Wales Fire Brigade pocket line, they had two colours that basically spiral through the rope. And from memory, now I've actually got my pocket line, but it's in the ute. I'll retrieve it. And what I'd like to do is send you some photos of it, Paul, so you can post them online. Great because it's a really interesting thing. So from memory, red and blue? Red and blue, the colours for the New South Wales Fire Brigade. Police rescue had had a slightly different you know, colour combination. Anyway, there's this firefighter. This is just so unbelievable, what I'm about to tell you. Fiery sitting opposite Detective Fiery looks over and on the desk is, guess what? Pocket line. Is some pocket line. And he says to the detective, oh, do you know... <laughs> You know, like, where did you get that rope? And the guy, the D, goes, well, you know, obviously the detective's not going to tell him at this juncture. And the detective says, and I'm sort of, I'm just paraphrasing the conversation, obviously. And the conversation sort of would have been toing and froing, and the detective would have said, what, what's what's, with this rope? And the firefighter says, and this is really, really interesting, that is a is from a pocket line issued to all New South Wales firefighters, and only firefighters. You can't go out and buy that rope. It's specific. And that is, from the information that I was told, that rope came from the body of Stephen Blanchard. That was used to tie him. So what you're
1: saying is a a firefighter-only pocket line? Yep was used to bind Stephen Blanchard, who was yep. then found shot in the head. Now, they he was acquitted of that specific charge. Correct. Yep. But he was also a serving firefighter at the time of the
2: murder. Mm. Incredible. So, did they overlook that in the court case? Not sure, but, you know, I did mention it to the writer, director, producer of the show that uh, she contacted me and... I made because she made reference to the rope, but she describes it as red rope. Um, and I mentioned the rope, and she said, "Look, she she was fairly non-specific, so I I don't really know, but I just thought it was very interesting. It's the first time I've actually got to to mention it in in the context of this particular story that we're doing, and I think it's um yeah, it's it's very very interesting. And uh like I said, it's the sort of thing you just can't you can't dream that sort of stuff up. So I, I guess I. What I'd really like to know is the veracity of the story that I was told. Mm. I have no, absolutely no doubt on earth to doubt it at all because it's so specific. Okay, and um, it would be good to know whether that evidence, a, if it's in, if it's correct, was introduced in, into that particular case. It's fascinating, and that, that, that's that's that's. That's the bit of information that I thought we would discuss today.
1: Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices. I wasn't there but it feels like the kind of thing that would constitute I mean red rope's not specific enough for me no no
2: uh,
1: because I've seen the rope it is largely a white kind of shade of yeah, rope correct. with a very thin uh blue line weaving through it intermittently and the same with the red lo- mm. red one this yes, is not it's-, it, it's not a red rope it's not no, um no. if this is in- if this information's accurate and it is the exact thing that was involved in the crime then
2: I'm I'm thinking that's pretty important. Mm, agree. Yeah. But then you've got to hope that, you know, we talking today about this are unaware of all the incredible com- complexities of the case and also of this particular facet. And one must also look at, you know, the continu- continuity of evidence and whether this particular rope um, still exists yeah. Uh and and you can really go down the rabbit hole. If you, if I was John le i I'd be thinking things like uh was the rope? Look, there are so many things that could have happened to the rope. Yeah. It's it's so fascinating, but the veracity and validity of what I've said today, I I'm of the opinion that it is um absolutely 100% spot on. And uh, I, I, I didn't doubt it. The, the first time I heard it, I would have heard it in the last ten years. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd left the fire brigade. It's so frustrating. I've thought about you know exactly when and where I heard it and from whom, but it's um, yeah, it's it's quite quite fascinating. And of course, you know, War- Warwick was. Um, Ultimately, found guilty, he was uh, sentenced to life imprisonment for a string of crimes that will go down in the annals of not just Australian uh, legal history, but it's it's pretty rare and unique. I've got this from
1: one year ago in the Guardian, and it's got a photo of him. And you're right, he is. I mean, he's 73. at the the time of the conviction. Sydney's family court bomber Leonard Warwick will die in jail after being sentenced to three life terms for murdering a judge, a judge's wife, and a churchgoer. The 73-year-old was found guilty in the New South Wales Supreme Court in July of 20 offences relating to six Sydney attacks between February 1980 and July 1985. They include the shooting murder, of Justice David Opas and the bomb-related murders of Pearl Watson, the wife of Justice Raymond Watson, and Graham Wykes, who died in an explosion at a Jehovah's Witness hall. Justice Peter Garling, who heard the long-running trial without a jury, as you said, on Thursday imposed three life sentences on the former firefighter, there you go, finding that the criminality involved was of the highest level for each murder. The conduct of the offender was calculated violent and hateful, he said. He also described the crimes as evil and attacks on Australian democracy, and that would be because of the attacks on the, on members of the court, I assume, and, and church as well hmm. uh, And then it goes on to point out, you know, how the whole thing was a, over a drawn-out dispute with his ex-wife Andrea Blanchard, whose brother we were just talking about. What struck me as confusing was, now there's a quote here from Warwick's solicitor, Alan Connolly. Here we go. Warwick solicitor Alan Connolly had submitted that there was not, and I quote, a scintilla of acceptable evidence that his client had committed extreme violence at any point in his life. I mean, listeners, I think you can agree that after the past few weeks, that's that's kind of beyond the pale. I often struggle with this idea, Dad, that whilst even the most, you know, violent criminals are, of course, entitled to a defence. At what
2: point does saying shit like that seem... Uh, you know what I mean? It's an, it's an odd... Pr- Every person you mm-hmm. know using the Westminster system is entitled to a defence. And I agree. The public might find it unpalatable at times. You have to follow due process. You can't just go out and kill people. And I know people want to do that sometimes. You know... We've got the bird lady that lives above us, which we'll talk about on Friday morning. <gasps>
1: you have a bird lady too? No, it's
2: it's beyond. It's well, Dad, so
1: bad that we got it. We we got to avoid this topic because it'll get into a whole thing, and I've got a lot of stuff to talk
2: about. So let's okay. But let, D- as a teaser, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, okay.
1: No, I guess what I'm saying is that I mean sometimes when. Do you, would you feel bad if you were a lawyer and you said, "No, nope, they didn't do anything wrong," and then afterwards, it's 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 clearly it's clearly obvious that they've committed heinous crimes? Well, how do you sleep at night, Paul? Listen, listen to me,
2: because you're lying at that. point. Paul, Paul, Paul. Right. Listen. Yeah. A a relationship between a lawyer and the client is it's almost sacrosanct. Okay. There are very few cases when the lawyer can say to the client, I'm just, I'm not going to defend you anymore. One of those cases is when the client lies to the solicitor. Okay? So when the, look, when the solicitor meets the client, comes in and they've been charged with something horrendous. Well, I don't need to to sort of scrape the barrel here. I'm not going to go to the, the grubby, grubby, grubbiness of the loathsome crimes that some people commit. We all know, just imagine, you can all be sitting, listening to this going, okay, and in your mind you pick a crime, it's a shit crime. You say to your client, did you do this? And the client says to you, no, I didn't. You have to take that as your starting point. Now, if it's a notorious high-profile, underworld Hitman, who has murdered, let's say, and been charged and done time for, say, five murders, he gets out of jail, commits a murder. Notice I didn't say a sixth murder, because we don't know. It's the sixth. Could be the first. Okay? could Might not be him. High-profile lawyer comes in. On the balance of probabilities, you are thinking, oh, well, you've done five and you've been linked to a sixth it's probably at least possible that you did that but I ask you in our first meeting did you commit the murder and you say no I didn't so you are obliged to do your very best and yes it's very problematic and very very upsetting I, we have in previous podcasts, some of our early, early podcasts, when I was a young constable giving evidence in the district court, being having shreds ripped off me, okay, by the defence lawyers, barristers, QCs, humiliated beyond belief in front of a jury. And then during the break, I'd see both sides, prosecution and defence, having lunch together in a cafe laughing away. And then I I had an epiphany. And it's, I'm not going to use the word game, but it's very competitive out there. Yeah. When these lawyers, when they go head to head, they're, they're playing for big stakes. You're but in there to win, basically. You're in there right? to win. But also, yep. hang on, what if your client is innocent? Okay? So, how good would you feel? I mean, how terrible would you feel as a lawyer knowing that a jury has found your client guilty of a crime that you actually didn't commit and then years later you're found innocent? Yeah. Like there it's this is just so complicated. Now your your cousin, Matthew, has just been made a prosecutor in the New South Wales Police Force. Really? As of last week. Senior That's amazing. sergeant. How good's that? That's incredible. And he's working out of the Downing Centre Court. Which is basically where every single person that's arrested in New South Wales goes. He's already done some some cases and he's going to be working on some incredible cases. Now he's for the prosecution. So he is the police verse, okay? So he's kind of against the defence counsel. And he'll be standing there. You know, it's fascinating, isn't it? So there's yeah. a there's a member of, of the family that is uh, it's pretty exciting so look yeah. it's and, t- and I'd love to sort of you know get his perspective and then ironically and factually fyi a lot of police prosecutors end up being top defense lawyers did you know that no i didn't yeah so they kind of flip to the other side the dark side mm, maybe maybe not but i'll tell you what though there's a lot of money in it a lot of money So, yes, very interesting. I'll tell you something very interesting off-air about a criminal thing that happened, and you can then see if you'd like to talk about it on Thursday.
1: I'm looking through here, and the global press has lit up over this case. Um, You know, it's being referred to as the longest criminal case in Australian history, because it took almost 40 years to solve this thing, which seems like a lot of time given the level and the scale and the, you know, terrifying. Anyway, so in 2012, they start going through the case again, they figure the evidence out, and now he's a seventy-three-year-old sentenced to three life terms. That doesn't real. I mean, look. The tricky thing is, and I've often r- kind of wrestled with this idea, Dad, is that if you get justice, you know, so-called justice, that long after the fact, is it? Does it help? I guess it comes so down the- to the. In- I guess it comes down to the person, you know, and their kind of for the family. You know, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, Do you know what I mean? I mean, yeah, it's, yeah. it's... But I guess yeah. it'd be like, um, if if someone goes missing, there are people that will die, yeah, never knowing whether their son or daughter, mother, father, brother, sister was ever found, terrible, terrible, open wound to the grave. However, imagine if you're on your deathbed, someone comes in and says, we've found this missing person, this relative. Yeah. I think that would give you closure. Um. And for people that disappear, I can't imagine the anguish. So I think closure at any time is good.
1: Okay. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. I actually agree with that. Well, I guess that about wraps up the story because he's in prison now. And obviously, this has been a very a very lengthy, detailed look at these cases. But I'm really, really curious about this rope thing. I Mm. think it's fascinating. And I just... I love how we tell stories for... You tell stories. I just listen for years and years and years and years and years. And, you know, there's books and there's live shows. And then you keep saying there's nothing else. And then suddenly some other memory bubbles up because it's prompted by something like this. And then suddenly, you know, we're off. We're off to the races again with something new. So... Mm. Look, we hope you all enjoyed this three-part look at the family court murders. It's been pretty harrowing. Next week, we're going to be back with another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. But this Thursday, a very contentious episode of Loose Ends is coming up. We won't go into detail now, but you might want to listen in. It's going to be a fun one. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone. If you want to get in touch, head across to facebook.com forward slash loose units, and we will see you soon. Bye-bye. Cheerio.